Welcome to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, over the past several weekends, we have been getting back to the basics of how we are to live as human creatures, basically, and as Christians more specifically. This trend continues as we arrive today at the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. By taking the second reading for this Sunday as our point of departure, we will see that a central part of living the Christian life is imitation, imitation both of Christ and of all those who have striven to live out the Christian life fully, either from the past or present. In this Sunday's second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we find the Apostle admonishing his readers, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Earlier in the same letter, Paul had already instructed the church at Corinth in the same way, following it with an explanation. For this reason I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus, as I teach them everywhere in every church. In sending Timothy to the Corinthians, Paul was sending them a living letter to teach them the Christian way of life by example. In the very same way, Paul exhorted the Corinthians to be living letters themselves as evidence of the gospel's saving power to the world. By instructing the Christians at Corinth in this way, St. Paul was imitating the teaching method of Christ. When first encountered by Andrew, who was eager to learn more about him and inquired, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus responded, Come and see. The Son of God incarnate used discipleship as his pedagogy, his way of teaching, calling twelve men to accompany him throughout his public ministry. These disciples followed him wherever he went, ate when he ate, and slept where he slept. Jesus' disciples shared an entire life with him, and thereby he formed every aspect of their lives, teaching them in word, but just as much, if not more, through deed. For this reason, time and again, Jesus pointed out to his disciples that the measure of their learning would not be knowledge gained, but transformation of life. Thus, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, he exhorts them, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Similarly, later, after he had washed their feet during the Last Supper, he told them, For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done. In choosing this as their primary teaching method, Jesus and Paul were tapping into a deep truth about human nature. Human life is an imitation game. From antiquity to today, scholars have asserted that human beings are imitative by nature, if you will. In his Poetics, Aristotle wrote, Imitation is natural to man from childhood. He is the most imitative creature in the world and learns at first by imitation. Advances in technology have led neuroscientists to conclude the same from the study of what are known as mirror neurons. When we witness actions or read or hear about them with significant vividness, 
mirror neurons are activated in the brain's neural pathways such that the brain is internally simulating the actions one sees as if one were doing the actions witnessed. Witnessing actions is thus a formative process that prepares us for imitative action in the future when we encounter similar situations. In short, the philosophy of Aristotle and cognitive science say more eloquently what popular parlance conveys more pithily. Monkey see, monkey do. A word of caution is in order here, though. Some thinkers, like Elizabeth Castelli, have charged St. Paul with coercion by calling Christians to imitate him. For her, in calling others to imitate him, Paul demands that Christians live as he does in a simple, mechanical way. However, this is to fail to recognize that authentic imitation is not the sheer replication of action. Instead, within a Christian paradigm, the language of imitation describes the dynamics of salvation, and thus, as has been discussed over the past several weekends, is continuous with the dynamics of creation. Thus, when St. Paul calls us to imitate him as he imitates Christ, he is calling us to increased participation in the life of the Son of God, the Word, through whom all things were created and are upheld in existence, and who in the fullness of time became incarnate, so that he might restore the human family's participation in the life of God through his paschal mystery, as St. Paul teaches us in the first chapter of his letter to the Colossians. In short, for Paul, both our created existence and our salvation entail participation in the life of God via the Son of God. And thus, when Paul exhorts us to imitation of Christ by imitating him, it is with the aim of increasing one's participation in the life of Christ. In other words, by calling us to imitation, Paul spurs us on to cooperate with God's salvific action in us. Thus, authentic imitation in the Christian life is never merely mechanical. It is rather always participatory. And without participation, there is no imitation. That authentic imitation is not the sheer mechanical replication of actions can be seen by approaching the topic from the perspective of various disciplines. For example, from the perspective of psychology, mirror neurons are understood to play a crucial role in what is known as theory of mind. The idea behind theory of mind is that in our interactions with others, we try to understand what the other person is thinking. For example, when we witness the action of another, not only are the mirror neurons in our brains priming us to imitate that action later, but we are actively engaging in learning the intention that motivates the action we are witnessing. Said differently, we are learning not only what is being done, but why it is being done. The idea here is that if we learn motivation, we are able to imitate the action we see exemplified by others in a way appropriate to our own unique personalities and states in life when faced with a similar situation later on. Therefore, an action we carry out later on might be imitative of an earlier witnessed action but look very different. The dynamics of imitation can also be understood from a philosophical or theological perspective. In Platonic philosophy, the material universe is thought of as being a mirror image or imitation of immaterial reality, as we see, for example, Plato write in the Timaeus. This dualistic conception of reality is also hierarchical, the spiritual and immaterial existing on a higher ontological plane than the physical. Said differently, to be spiritual or immaterial is to live at a higher pitch or more perfect level of existence. 
Accordingly, in order to reach perfection, material reality, including human beings who are parts material and immaterial, need to imitate immaterial reality. In some cases, this meant the imitation of God. For example, in his work on the laws, Plato writes, He then that is to become dear to such a God must needs become, so far as he possibly can, of a like character. St. Thomas Aquinas draws on this philosophy, but overcomes its dualistic shortcomings in light of the Incarnation. We can see how St. Thomas does this by taking a look at his commentary on the passage from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, read this Sunday. Aquinas begins by drawing from the idea articulated by St. Paul in the first chapter of his letter to the Colossians, that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is also the one through whom all things were created at the beginning and are now upheld in existence. St. Thomas explains, But this exemplar of God has been very remote from us at first, as it is said, What is man that he could follow the king, his maker? And therefore he willed to become man, that he might offer humans a human exemplar. The Son of God incarnate becomes incarnate precisely so as to provide us with a visible example to imitate. He thereby becomes the primary link in a chain of exemplary actors meant to increase in links and lengthen throughout history. The image of links in a chain is a good one for understanding how the dynamics of imitation are central to the Christian life. For, while each link has an independent existence, just as each human creature does, subsequent links in the chain only function as part of the chain by remaining attached to the primary link. Thus, the image emphasizes how imitation of Christ is always participatory, as already discussed. We who are created in the image of God are meant to imitate the one whose image we bear, and thereby increase in likeness to him. Subsequent links to this chain that begins with Christ are added by the force of attraction to the exemplary lives of Christians who attach to the Son of God incarnate and increasing in likeness to him make God's love known and present in the world and thereby draw others to their way of life and ultimately to Christ. The bonds between the links are forged and strengthened by the fire of the Holy Spirit whose grace enables the imitative learning process already detailed. Thus, during his lifetime, many are attached to Christ by way of participatory imitation. For example, his mother and ours, Mary, the Twelve Apostles, and many more. These individuals function collectively to draw others to Christ by imitating his way of life. And because imitation of Christ is always participatory, making his life known and present through their own lives. And so the chain grows down through the ages. Saints helping make saints by drawing others to saving union with God through, with, and in the incarnate Son, the primary link in the chain, the head of the body, the church. This is the imitation game, and its aim is to add links to the imitative chain until ultimately all are bound to Christ as members of his body, the church, in accordance with his high priestly prayer found in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, so what does this mean for us concretely and practically? The Apostle gives us our answer. Paul's claim to be an imitator of Christ rests on the dynamics of the Incarnation, God's self-humbling surrender of the divine prerogative in becoming human 
to be one with us. Paul casts the incarnate Christ as exemplar par excellence in his well-known Christ hymn of the second chapter of his letter to the Philippians, exhorting Christians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Christ's example tells the story. Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The divine self-humbling described here in metaphysical or theological terms is the same movement concretely acted out in Jesus' washing the feet of his disciples. The master took on the role of a slave in washing his disciples' feet, as Peter makes so clear in his protest. In calling the Corinthians and us to imitate him as he had imitated Christ, St. Paul claimed that he lived his life in an effort to imitate the self-humbling mentality of Jesus. What comes next is important for understanding what has been said regarding authentic imitation on a practical level. For St. Paul does not go about washing the feet of those he serves, but he imitates this action of Christ in other ways. How does he do this? He imitates Christ by giving up his prerogative as a Christian and even more so as an apostle of Christ. Concretely, he does this by not giving offense to those who are scandalized by eating certain foods, as he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He does this by persevering through abuse and rejection from those to whom he preached, as he recounts in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And he does this by working for his living, instead of having others provide for his needs, as he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For Paul, all of these actions were a participatory imitation of the life of Christ, of living with the mind of Christ and of allowing Christ to live in and through him. And for what aim? Paul's answer echoes the why Jesus gives us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, demonstrating that the learning process described above in psychological and neuroscientific terms had taken place in Paul. Thus, in chapter 9, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. This is authentic imitation of Christ, putting one's entire life at God's disposal in every circumstance so that others might experience the healing power of Christ's cross and resurrection. How then do we play this imitation game so as to grow in increased conformity and participation in the life of Christ and thereby call others to unity with him as well? First and most importantly, we play the imitation game through our participation in the sacrifice of the Mass. Participation in the Mass both avails us of the grace to imitate Christ and teaches us how to do so. But if our participation in the Mass is to become the source of a life of imitatio Christi, we must truly be participants and not merely spectators. Active participation in the Mass has become a topic of debate and is often misconstrued by being described solely in terms of movement, speaking, or singing. Yet the neuroscientific and psychological processes already discussed tell us that, while important, these are not our only means of active participation. By carefully attending to Scripture in the liturgy of the Word as it is read, our brains are literally imitating the virtuous actions we hear being vividly described so that we might concretely imitate these actions when the circumstances deem appropriate. 
When we move to the liturgy of the Eucharist, we must strive to maintain the same degree of attention. We must carefully listen to the Eucharistic prayer as it is prayed by the priest, praying to God that the sacrifice of Christ, now being carried out in words, might become our sacrifice, as the late great Joseph Ratzinger writes in the Spirit of the Liturgy, that we ourselves may be transformed into the Logos, conformed to the Logos, and so be made the true body of Christ. My friends, this weekend, as we draw close to the beginning of the Lenten season, we are called to imitate the life of Christ. Just as it was for those Jesus first called, the imitation of Christ entails a life of discipleship, living with Jesus Christ so that we can learn how he lives and why he lives the way he does. We live with Jesus and learn to live like him in many ways. We do so by spending time with him in prayer, by spending time watching him in scripture. We do so by spending time watching the lives of those he has transformed up and down the centuries to live in a manner that allowed him to live through them, the saints. All of these are avenues for living a life of authentic imitation of Jesus Christ. However, the source and summit of our imitative participation in the life of the Son of God is the Eucharistic liturgy. By actively participating in the Eucharistic liturgy, we put on the mind of Christ as his body and are availed of the grace to imitate him with the whole of our lives. This is where the life of the church as the body of Christ becomes so important. It is imperative that we all dedicate ourselves to the imitation of Christ in our own unique ways because we need to see, here and now, what a life looks like that prolongs the dynamics of self-giving love that have their source and summit in the Eucharist. We need exemplars of a Eucharistic life to imitate. Today we have explored how theologically this is the way the tradition thinks of our lives and how this theological paradigm can be given further clarity through the sciences. This is where the communion of saints fits into the imitation game. The lives of the saints of the past testify that God's grace knows no limits of historical context, age, race, or sex, but that he is continually at work in the world, transforming us individually and collectively into the body unified in his Son, as he intended for the human family from the beginning. Today it is time to learn from their lives with renewed intensity, and to celebrate their feasts with greater solemnity. They are the living expression of God's love made present to us through history, and in imitating them, we imitate Christ. By joining in this imitation game, we put on the humble mind of Christ and become his hands and feet in the world, so that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do everything for the glory of God, not seeking our own advantage, but that of the many, so that they may be saved. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.